I'll just go to the questions and the answers. So is the length of sitting so important? The answer is no. <laughs> if so, why? Because mindfulness is important, not the posture. Um, what's important is for the mindfulness to be as long as possible, not how long you sit. Yes, observing and being aware the same thing? Yes. <laughs> I'll give you all the things that I use interchangeably. Observing, being aware, mind, being mindful, watching, recognizing, noticing. Um, yeah, I think that one. Dear Seattle, thank you for your teachings which are changing the course of my practice. Here's the question. If the nature of the object is based on cause and causes and conditions, what is the nature of awareness? Causes and conditions. <laughs> That's why we're practicing, because the causes and conditions we are setting down is practicing, then awareness will become stronger. Do I need to slow down? <laughs> Whenever I notice greed or aversion in the observing mind, for example, being aware of something, but also wanting it to change, so that's an example of aversion in the observing mind, it then becomes an object being observed. So that aversion in the observing mind becomes observed. So if the mind is truly just observing mindfully, is it free of defilements? Um, though I may be aware of some of them as objects. So Seattle says, um, you have to observe to see if the mind that is observing has become free of defilements. You don't just assume. Um, so say you, are what, you have taken the aversion in the observing mind as an object. Now you have it as an object. Does it reduce? Does it go away? Do you find yourself free of the aversion in the observing mind? You will know yourself, clearly, if it's gone. This one's like, um, so as mindfulness is used now in mental health and stress reduction, there is a big emphasis on the body as an object, as an anchor. Many people never get past observing the body and never see the mind and mind's attitude, yet it seems to offer some relief to stressed out people. From your experience, do you think Western people are less embodied and more in their heads and therefore need to ground first as they would get lost in their minds if they began with a less embodied approach? So Seattle's answer is, you always start with the body, you never start with a less embodied approach because it's confusing. Although Seattle gives information about how practice progresses and that, you know, as you begin with the body and then you progress to the mind, he's not suggesting at any point that somebody start with a disembodied approach. Mm -hmm. 
Because to know the minds, says, we need a lot of not just awareness and samadhi, we also need wisdom. We also need the skill and the understanding of what mind is, how to observe the mind and so on. And without those realizations, which come from just developing awareness and samadhi, um, and then the realizations that come from that, we can't observe the mind. Yeah, so when people just start by watching the mind only, what they see is a lot of thinking mind, and they don't know how to see it objectively, and they just get lost in thought a lot. When I notice a wholesome thought during meditation, for example, reflection on the Dharma, do I simply notice or do I follow the thought? So Sialas gives an example. He says you can, um, I hesitate to use the word follow that the yogi has used, but he says you can, you know, with something wholesome, you can choose to do the wholesome um, while continuing to be aware. So an example is um, practicing metta. You know, you can practice metta meditation and be aware that you're practicing metta. Next question. I have been thinking about all the teachings we have heard these days very intensely. And a million questions. We go back to the last question about when I notice a wholesome thought. Do I simply notice or do I follow the thought? And Tiana says, um, it also depends on circumstance. Some things aren't important to follow on. I mean, not just wholesome thought, but anything when you sit and meditate. Not sit, sorry, when you are mindful. Tiana says, mindfulness is not just about watching what's happening and being totally impotent or inactive. Um, depending, depending on what um, you need to do. Siyadra says, if it's a wholesome action, or if there's something that needs to get done functionally in your life, you go ahead and do it. You know, maybe you want to do dana. You do dana mindfully. Maybe you need to go to work at home. You go to work mindfully with a wholesome state of mind. Maybe you're in service, you work with metta, or you just work with other people and you have metta with, with, you know, towards the people you work with. So all of this you can be mindful of. question. I have been thinking about all the teachings, and I'm thinking very intensely, and a million questions come in my mind. The person says, I can still keep body awareness, but is there such a thing as asking oneself too many questions? And the answer is yes. 
Scanner says, if your mind starts becoming very agitated, you know you are asking yourself too many questions to be helpful. Everything has a limit, has a, you know, a level that, to which it is suitable or beneficial. And um, yeah, everything is best when it's just the right amount, not too much or too little. But understanding suitability, appropriateness, beneficiality, all those are kind of wisdom, you know, are types of wisdom. It's in Pali it's called it's called clear comprehension sometimes in English. Yeah, that's what it is. Next question. Sometimes I am aware of some objects like the sound of birds or wind and a boredom arises. Can awareness be boring? <laughs> <laughs> Sierra would like to differentiate that awareness is awareness and boredom is boredom. <laughs> you can become aware of boredom, <laughs> so boredom can become your object. Uh, but boredom is an indication that there's not enough wisdom in the present moment. So there's no curiosity, there's no um, interest, and that's why the mind is bored. The mind can also be bored when the mind has the wrong idea. Like it, maybe it expects something and it's not getting it, it can get bored. Or, or the wrong idea of believing that the same thing is happening over and over again. Um, because the reality is that every moment is new. It's never the same thing ever again. This, what you have experienced before never repeats itself. It's impossible. The pain you had a moment ago is not the pain you have now. Um, in reality, everything is If you are thinking that you are still in pain from five minutes ago, uh, you know that your mind is thinking of pain as a concept and not in touch with the reality of the every moment of pain. Reality is constantly changing. Uh, how how you like you know? So if we think to ourselves, oh, the same thing is happening. Oh, this is the same old thing. Know that that is a wrong idea. That can bring a boredom. When you watch the breath, yeah, says every breath is different. It's new air, um, new sensation, new moment. New knowing. New knowing. The object is changing and the knowing is constantly changing too. Yes? One question related to that. The pattern, the pattern behavior, which is repeating. A pattern of behavior. Be I mean, the, the, the situation where it comes up is a different, a new one. But the pattern stays the same in life. The manner might be the same, Theodosis, but the mind that is um, in the present moment is different. Um, 
it's like memories, you know, you always have the same story coming to your mind over and over again. You keep thinking about the same person, but the, the mind that is thinking of it is the present mind. It wasn't the mind that thought of it yesterday. It's a new mind today. Yeah? Okay? Does anyone want to just ask questions? We do have a question since we've opened that door. Okay, we'll just take one question. Sorry, because we have a lot of questions in paper. We'll take that one question. Um, so a question about uh, about practicing with uh, or this style of practice and and depression or, or anxiety. Yeah. So so, um, so my my mind has always been inclined to know like many objects and the relations between them mm -hmm. and, and actually like so this has been quite pleasant and, and natural for me. Mm -hmm. But then uh, when uh, if I'm if I'm depressed depressed or very anxious then. Um, then it's easier, of course, to get get like lost in in, in thoughts, or because I'm not, uh, you know, I, I don't have right attitude anymore, and the mind gets so confused that you know it doesn't even know what the attitude is, even if it tries. But uh, but then I'm I'm wondering, like, you know, should, what what should I do then? Should should I practice like like samatha or something in that situation? And should I sort of try to prepare for that situation by, you know, practicing samatha when I'm not depressed? Because I, I don't really have a much skill with, you know, following one object because I don't practice like that normally. Um, ไอ้เฉยมาตัวนี้ตัวเมียไอ้เฉยมาด้วยได้มาเมียตัดเลยเอ่อไอ้เฉยมาตัวทาเลยมาเมียตัวทาบามันเลยตีตัวเมียเอ
And then, the way you use this practice then when you are feeling depressed or anxious is then you, you use that practice of placing your attention. Now the main object becomes the feelings, right? The feeling that you have when you're anxious or depressed. And you place your attention on that feeling over and over again. Just gently, just placing, just placing, just recognizing, just knowing, just placing and placing and placing. That's all. Yes, it's like many people in the room and you're just looking at one person. It's, It's not a difficult practice if you think of it that way. Yeah, I guess it's, I've noticed that my mind actually has an aversion to placing the <laughs> attention on one object. I don't know who am I? So then your mind needs to understand that there is um, necessity or suitability. When the mind needs that exercise, you need to give it that exercise. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So let's do some of the longer questions. ตัวนี้สามารถบ่ายตัวคุณตัวนี้คุณตัวนี้อกุตัวตัวนี้ตัวนี้อกุตัวบ่าวเลยเนี่ยกิริตาตัวนี้ตัวนี้บ่าวละ
doing what their job description is. <laughs> and then there is a, a phrase here. It says, the fires of defilements are burning. And this person says, this sounds similar to Christianity. I would like to hear your thoughts on this. Sarah doesn't know anything about Christianity, so I comment on that. But the phrase, the fires of defilements are burning, is, is used to... Um, it's like a metaphor um, because of the way defilements make us feel. That when, we, when there's a lot of defilement or unwholesome qualities in the mind, it can feel like the mind is burning or you are burning. Because there's so much suffering. Another question? Dhamma everywhere in my Yitara, Dunyama. Anutya Kilitarya. Vipatana Sika Nalelu Yara Dhamma. A piezo Nalelu Miyamu Yitara. Miyamu. 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 ที่เราอยากจะมาเราอยากเราสิ่งที่เราที่มาเราอยากเราตายจะชูเนี่ยมันเสพเราไม่ได้นะชูเนี่ยอย่าเอ่อแม่ผมเนี่ยมาตัว
Um, vipassana knowledge cannot know anusya. Um, comprehension of anusya is only intellectual. Um, so, vipassana mind sees and understands um, defilements at the level of at least paruyutthana when it has come into existence in the mind. So it can know it and then understand it, uh, but not at the level of anusya. Vipassana insight cannot go to the level of anusya. And then the person continues to write. They can only let, I think, shiman or himan, they can only be let go off by uh, knowledge of path and fruit knowledge. Uh, Shiva path knowledge, but path and fruit knowledge, which is mega palanyana. And that's right. Um, what is at the level of anusya, at the level of just potential, can only be uprooted by path and fruit knowledge in the Buddhist cosmology. What sort of defilements are meant here? The anusya. <laughs> what sort of defilements are meant here? Yeah. There are ten roots that need to be uprooted, but I won't go through them all. <clears throat> How to be aware of defilements with right views? Allowing. <laughs> what are the defilements we need to look at? Kilitao. The word. Yeah. Pakilitao shuam. Anything. What are the defilements we need to look at? Cerosis, any defilement that arises. How to be aware of the defilements with right view? Practice. That's what we're doing here, right? We're practicing, we go through the interviews, he explains over and over again all sorts of right view. This is a very important step, Sarasankona, a step, maybe a phase, um, that we learn, you know, when we watch the defilements, it's very unpleasant, generally. Particularly if we have the wrong attitude towards it and we think and we're identified, it's, it's very unpleasant. Um, and the, the learning is the learning to to not identify, to not think of them as me or mine. And for that to become an, an understood view. Not just an intellectual view that you're putting in, but that, you know, it becomes an understood view. And that's the phase that we're all going through. Trying to learn what so right view is. So Sometimes we come across states like that where we, um, you know, we're observing something that is clearly suffering, a sense of suffering, but we find that the awareness is detached from it. The awareness is not suffering. So, observing suffering without suffering. Um, so, observing suffering in an equanimous manner. And, um, and that's, you know, a skill that we want to learn. When you can see both the object and the awareness. Um, you can see when the object is an object of, that's causing suffering, while 
the awareness is watching, but not suffering to watch what is watching. Okay? Yeah, no? Sorry, can that relate also to the defilements, in the sense like watching anger without feeling the anger? Yes. Good example. When you're able to watch with right view, there's equanimity, but equanimity is not compassion. Of the four, you know, Brahma Viharas, um, equanimity is highest because it um, it has wisdom. And um, when we watch a defilement with compassion, says we are trying to change our point of view, but that's not the point of view of wisdom yet. When there's wisdom, compassion can arise, but that's a different. You know, you have to know that wisdom has come first. Yeah, so the most important thing that could work for us is uh, wisdom. It's the most able and capable. This is a very useful question. The yogi says, can you provide wisdom around managing, witnessing, observing defilements in others? For example, spouse, children, parents. Sierra <laughs> says, don't observe, witness, um, don't observe defilements in others. Observe your own defilements. <laughs> Take care of your own defilements. When these defilements, when these fires are, are down, then you can think about how to manage others. But when these fires are up, you can't manage others' fires either. You, you have two fires burning. You have a bigger fire. So Sierra has a nice story to tell. <laughs> Amelia, I'm not going to do it. 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 I'm not going
So this happened when Siaru was, um, you know, practicing at home. Unfortunately, he had gained a lot of momentum in his practice already, and his uh, practice was very stable. So one night, his uh, mother and his sister began fighting. They were having a real, they were having it out. They were crying, they were shouting, they were throwing things, or whatever. It's just... No throwing things. <laughs> but they were shouting. <laughs> yeah, they were, yeah, they were having a big tantrum fest. And um, Seattle was watching them, and he, he wanted them to feel better. And he thought about how he might deal with the situation. And he said he, he thought of a way, but he realized that they were so emotional that if he went in without being careful, he might get swept away in the tide of their emotions. So he realized, he said he needed to fireproof himself. So he watched his mind, and he was very calm. And he looked at his mind, and he was very clear about what he needed to do. He knew the course of action he needed to take because he understood both of their, their characters quite well, their personalities quite well. So he knew who he could speak to, what he could do. All he needed to do was separate them so that they wouldn't be talking to or shouting to, at each other anymore. Um, and, he, and then he said what he did was, and because his practice was very powerful at that time, he kept a watch on his, on his mind. So he was very still. And he kept watching that still mind. So he kept watching his stillness and he approached them. And knowing he was still and steady and deliberate, and then he did what he had to do. So he, he spoke to his mother, who you know, he, he, you know, was much more um, easy for him to deal with, and, and, and persuaded her to move away, uh, all the while watching how he was feeling. And once he had managed to separate them, then it sort of came to an end. But he says that's what you need to do is maintain your own peace if you want to be able to deal with anything. He says if we go in and we're not taking care of our own peace, Yara says, then we, we get caught. We, we, we have, you know, we can get caught in bias, who, you know, who to side and stuff like that. All that becomes then puts us in danger again and we might not be so effective. We might not be able to get through all the questions because there are so many. Wow, some of these are very, very big questions. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry. 
Sorry? Yes? On the labeling. So I, I have never practiced with labeling, but my mind labels automatically. Ah, that's different. <laughs> okay. Tu sei catturato più o meno. Oh, labeling, panamata canaka, labeling, no, da tabawa. Our minds, our minds' natural tendency is whatever it sees, it names it to itself. But that's the natural function of the mind. It's like the thinking mind. It also helps us to reconfirm what we know, you know, with a, uh, conceptually. Um, but he doesn't call that labeling. Labeling is when we're mechanically going. Walking, walking, rising, falling, you know, instead of just knowing what we know. Of course, yeah, um, where it's mechanical, right, and becomes habitual. But that, that tendency of the mind to just name, you know, it's like you see a, a number and the mind already knows the number. Or you see a word and the mind's already read the word. So that's very natural for the mind. He doesn't call that labeling. It's not something that you put in. It's something that the mind does by itself. So the question is that Sarah has said before yeah, that if you if you know awareness and object, it means there's a third, a third, which is another awareness that knows the object and awareness. And then this yogi asks, is if I'm aware of the third, the witness, does that mean that there's a fourth? ไอ้ชิมาเสร็จแล้วมาเมียตินเนี่ยมาซ้ายเนี่ยตินเนี่ยดาวชูเลยเราบ่ายแทนมาเอนไซตี้ขึ้นอ่ะตีเลยตู้
you know, having the anxiety and all go away. It just makes it more difficult. So, if you can, if you can recognize that the mind is wanting things to go away, um, then recognize that. If you can, if the recognition of it helps the mind to become simple, and it can just observe as it is, and then you just eat, observing the anxiety and the tension, knowing it without needing it to go away. This is a very long question. Yogi asks, does Seattle have further practice tips for every day in addition to the five fingertips? <laughs> we have to find our own what works for us, you know. He had he used many things at different times. Some things he used for long periods of a, at a time. But we can choose, remember all ob objects are equal, so we can choose anything that suits us. How to be with someone? <laughs> How to be with someone who's dying? Who is experiencing a lot of physical and mental pain or suffering? How to use this practice in dealing with my own fear and need to fix it? Sarah says that's what we're practicing now, learning how to deal with our own fears and needs to fix it. Right? Um, yeah. He says people who are dying need people beside them who are at peace. It's much more helpful to the dying person if the person with them is not also anxious and fearful. Um, so, if you're not able to deal with your own anxiety, fear, and if you're passing it on, Sarah says it's better to step out of the room. Um, so, yeah, you might create more anxiety in the person. Yeah. You, you start crying or being upset, and, and maybe it upsets the person who's dying more. Um, so, Sarah says, Use the practice to find your own peace, if you can, right? So you need to practice a lot, a lot. Yeah, if you, he says, yeah, you must start practicing now, Siyadu says, you don't wait until the fear and needs to fix, the need to fix it is strong in your mind, he says. Start practicing now so you can deal with all that later. <coughs> yeah. If you're ready, if your awareness is already strong, you've been building up, there's momentum, you're much more capable of, of facing things when they come up. What is the characteristic of moha? Moha, <coughs> <coughs> 
Generally, delusion is not knowing, not knowing what is what. Um, See, this is on a very general basis. Delusion makes us think that what is right is wrong, and what is wrong is right. How do I investigate anatta? Siyadu says you don't have to investigate anatta. You just watch the physical and mental processes as they are. They are already anatta. When the the understanding arises, that understanding understands that these are anatta. Now we're just watching them. It doesn't make any sense. Enough. In all insights, you know, when we have an insights, there's a, a following mind called a reflection, a, a, a reflecting mind. Yeah, it's called Pachamikana. Um, and that reflecting mind then reflects on what has been understood. <coughs> yeah, so, yes. I would like to ask uh, what should be the attitude of the uh, mind to, uh, towards obsessive thoughts? Mm-hmm. Obsessive what should the attitude be? Yeah. yeah. Uh, obsessive thoughts are. Can we do this? Yeah. Can we do this? Like we do. Uh, to pain. Uh, not pain. He says you let it do its own work and you do your own work. So you you don't pay attention to the obsessive thought. The important thing is that there is no aversion in the mind. Right? So if there is a version, you watch the version. Yeah, so you watch the version. You don't pay attention to the thought, the obsessive thought. Mm-hmm. When the awareness and samadhi become better, they will help the mind to deal with what is happening. And when wisdom arises, of course, even better. But um, for, the, for wisdom to arise, we just have to develop awareness and samadhi. ชื่อเลยนะมาสวัสดีครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับครับ
So working with cancer patients, I often hear them express a wish to be more mindful and present, but mostly find it so difficult to calm the mind or sleep at night due to anxiety. Teaching them mindfulness-based stress reduction, they often really like the concentration meditation, which they sometimes use as a technique to fall asleep. But they're not so interested in understanding the nature of things. So even though I try to explain that calming the mind may be a side effect, I sometimes become worried that I may represent the Dharma by not pushing the point of understanding. But at the same time, I believe that people should get all the relief they can have, what to do. Sarah so says, um, yes, not everybody might be interested in, um, in understanding. You say what you need to say, you represent to the Dharma, the rest is up to them. Yogi says, lately my mind has been feeling softer and less rigid. Can you explain the factors that cause this? Is this just a result of awareness or wisdom? Siyato says, both. Because you need awareness to bring it to, to develop wisdom. And um, yeah, so the mind has more right attitude than it is less rigid. Diluye of Pathe Water, Pirok, 
Can you please provide wisdom around cancer, karma, reality, and delusion? In in two or three years, this person's grandmother has died. A month later, an uncle died. Father died with lung cancer. Mother died a few months later. Six months later, sister died of cancer. Sister and mother, um, or, or they developed cancer, and then they became fine, but the father died of traumatic death. Um, because his skin burned, he died from burn in hospital. A year later, her sister's dog died, or his sister died. But my sister's family and parents shared two family homes. So, Sierra says, um, a lot of lessons for gaining spiritual urgency here. Sierra says, the main lesson to learn and remember is that we're going to die ourselves one day. So, before we die, practice. Practice like there's no tomorrow. We practice so that we can learn to die peacefully. Yeah. In Buddhism, there's the concept of samsara, you know, which is like a, some, you know, a, a relentless. Yeah, a never ending, a beginningless kind of. Uh, Existence where you know things have cycled over and over and over again. Um, it's said that there's no spot that you've never been buried, no profession that you've never um, practiced. So you can imagine the samsara and how long it might be. And um, says, and because samsara has been so long, we've uh, accumulated all sorts of karma, good and bad, and they're all waiting. All the karma, good and bad, is waiting to be expressed. So, although there is good, there is also the potential for bad. We don't know which will be expressed when. What we need to develop now, because we have the ability to reflect on this, he said, is to develop the resilience, the practice so that we have the resilience and the understanding to face any bad situations that we might have to face in this life. When it, whenever it might come up. Like death. Hmm? Yeah, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Suffering happens when there's a defilement in the mind, right? Suffering happens when there's a defilement in the mind. Um, and we suffer from pain because of dosa. The mind doesn't like pain, and that's why the mind suffers from pain. So if you watch the, the mind that doesn't like pain, you watch the mind that doesn't like pain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then sometimes you will see when the mind is not having dosa towards pain. So dosa is resistance or not liking pain. And when you don't have this disliking of the pain or the resistance towards pain, when you don't have it, um, Sarah says you will see the difference between how you perceive pain that when there is dosa, it feels painful, that when there's no resistance, it doesn't feel as painful. Or when there's less resistance, it doesn't feel as painful. And this is something we need to see from our own experience. When there's dosa in the mind, when there's resistance in the mind, says we want to see what the view of the mind is, how we perceive pain or whatever other um, experience and when there's no resistance in the mind, we want to see what the mind, how the mind views that same object. And then Seattle says sometimes there's understanding, there's an insight or realization, and at that time we want to see what the view of the object is. It's totally different, same object but different views. So what's happening is not stopping. So pain might continue, could be emotional or, or physical. Pain might continue, but the view of the mind towards the pain can be different. When dosa is present in the mind, when the mind resists, yeah, this is pain is seen as solid, tight, tension, um, intractable. But when there is no longer resistance in the mind, when the mind is feeling easeful, the same, what just a moment ago could have been very tight, when the mind has no longer any resistance, suddenly you see its nature, it's changing, it's, it's, it's you know, it's a complete, it might be a way, things are changing, it's not solid anymore, you'll see all the little bits that make it up, this sensation, which we think is solid, and we see it more for what it is, it's not solid. We see its nature, yeah. 
if we forget, sorry, to put down that personal efforting, um, so we keep putting it in, we don't notice what the mind is doing by itself. Mm-hmm. So sometimes just stop. Mm-hmm. You're not doing anything. We're always efforting just a little bit too much, the other says. That, that's just how. So if we just stop sometimes, we can see what the mind is capable of and doing on its own. You know, it's like, it says it's like riding a bike, you know, when you keep pedaling after a while, it's easier. You don't really need to pedal. You can freewheel for a while, and then you can sort of coast, and then you need to pedal just a little bit to keep yeah. it going. So you pedal a little bit to keep it going, so you never stop. But um, you don't have to keep pedaling so hard all the time. You can, you can feel the momentum of freewheeling. Um, I would just like to hear from Sado about how he defines the neutral in Vedana. Oh, very obvious. Pleasant, unpleasant, What is not pleasant and not unpleasant is neutral. Yeah, he says very often what people say is they're so used to feeling something pleasant or unpleasant or, you know, very familiar with that, that when they don't feel something pleasant or unpleasant, what they say is, Sarah, I feel nothing. But that's neutral. You know, so but they fail to recognize that's neutral. The reason I ask that question is um, because often other teachers talk about neutral as a form of delusion. Well they don't talk about it as Upeka. They talk about it as um, oh. ไอ้ที่ว่าเปสิงอ่ะเยสเอ่อเอ่อเอ่อเนี่ยเนี่ยมาบ่าวแต่ก็ก็ก็ก็ก็ก็ก็ก็ก็ก็ก็ก็ก
So when we have some wisdom about something, then we realize the delusion about it that we had before. So wisdom, uh, wisdom lights up darkness, and um, so yeah, light removes darkness, but wisdom is like that. You then f- understand what was dark. Well, sometimes you have, you know, just a dim light, and then it becomes very bright, and and you can tell the difference very clearly when wisdom lights up like that for you. The department has already chosen, greed has liked. Dosa has disliked, it's already chosen what to do. It does its job, it, it just likes or dislikes. That's its choice. If you like something, he says, when you eat, do you do you take food that you don't like to eat? <laughs> choose food that we want to eat. Give me that. Greed has already chosen. Yeah, yeah. Okay. See you. Yeah. Just um, I have a friend who has been um, mentally unwell with psychosis, and now he's getting better. He's on a lot of medication. He's a Dharma practitioner. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to somebody who's trying to practice on a lot of medication and mm-hmm. has to have it, otherwise his mind will go very delusional? Mm. Psychosis or Apollo. So Siano doesn't know the basis of his psychosis. But Siano says, um, if these yogis practice in the wrong way, um, so the psychosis of this person is not not because they practiced 
Or is it because they practice? No, no. Uh, but yogis like that, Seattle says, they need a lot of supervision. Somebody needs to be there all the time because if they practice wrongly, um, yeah, any wrong practice and they get too locked into something, um, too much concentration, especially, you know, it can trigger off the psychosis again. And uh, if they've already had psychosis, it's very easy to to flip, to, to fall into it again, you know. So, yeah, he says if they... There's, you know, a lot of information given to them about the mind and how it works. If they can accept that information and apply that information usefully, um, they might find some way to practice um, skillfully. Yeah, but he wouldn't advise it right away. Yeah, it needs time. Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit Dharma Seed dot org slash donate.